We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast three two one what's going on everybody welcome into an all-new episode of the pack a day podcast along with packers wire i'm your host andy herman you can follow me on twitter at andy herman nfl and joining me once again is the one and only paul brettel you can follow him on twitter at paul underscore brettel Paul, how the heck are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Andy. Uh, looking forward to talking Packers after a after a big win, big time win on Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm still very giddy as well. That's kind of the game that I've been waiting for and just wanting to see, you know, out of this team. And it's one of those things that prior to the season, I said at some point they're going to get a, a couple wins or a win against a team that people weren't expecting. I said there's probably going to be a couple of the reverse along the way where they have a devastating loss against some team that they weren't expected to lose to. I think we've seen a little bit of both of those things now, but that was like the one where you really felt, all right, this is a good team on the road, national audience, and you go back and rewatch the game. There's no flukiness here. There's nothing that would have said like, oh, if the ball bounces the other way, Detroit wins the season. No, it's the other way. If, if a ball bounces the other way a couple of times, like Green Bay wins this like 43 to 14. So I, I'm still super pumped about just the way that they played. And really over the last month, just the improvement that they've shown overall. Yeah, we're finally seeing that growth, that progress that we that we've all been waiting for. And one just quick thing I'll say about that game that obviously Jordan Love's performance, but beyond just the numbers and what we saw, what was truly encouraging for me was that he did it without a run game to lean on. Like we we talked about it, I know many did leading up to that game. Like attacking the Lions on the ground to begin with is not not going to be the best strategy, but Packers haven't been a good rushing offense. Uh, shorthanded at the running back position. Matt LaFleur said, I mean, we all kind of had the idea they were going to have to go into that game throwing the ball. I imagine the Detroit Lions knew that they were going to come into that game throwing the ball. And still, Jordan Love, his, his uh, group of young receivers were still able to uh, put up the numbers that they did, find the success that they did when, to a degree, right out the gate, being one-dimensional. And not that long ago, a few weeks ago, like that's something that would, just, would have just absolutely destroyed this offense. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. Is it's it's the lack of a running game, the defense that has really you know kind of kept teams in games, or that just the fact that in, in part due to its own um, 
ineptitude is a strong word at times, but uh, its own mistakes has, you know, allowed the other teams to constantly be ahead. Like, it's just like, this is a team that's playing from behind, can't run the ball and is putting a ton on Jordan love in his very first season. And he's responding. It is hard not to get excited about thinking of, man, imagine if they had a running game. Imagine if they had, a healthy David Bakhtiari or just a couple offensive linemen that were a step above the John Runyon Jr., Josh Myers, Rashid Walker trio. Imagine if they had a defense that was a uh, you know, legitimate top five, top eight defense. And nothing's ever going to be perfect in the NFL. You're always going to have some things that you wish were a little bit better. That's just the nature of the game. But, man, with just a couple tweaks here and there. And we, we were just wondering, Paul, earlier in the season of like, Man, imagine if the wide receivers and, and the tight ends and the quarterback get on the same page. Right. <laughs> now we're starting to see some of that, and it looks pretty freaking good. Yeah, it's it's a lot of the the ideas, the visions that we saw in pieces during training camp during the summer yep. are now finally starting to take place on Sundays. Super, super exciting. All right, we'll get to a little bit more Jordan Love in just a bit, but I wanted to go over kind of some transactions first. Nothing crazy that happened on Tuesday. Packers signed tight end Joel Wilson, uh, who will go on the practice squad. They released Anthony Johnson, not to be confused with Anthony Johnson Jr., which apparently really freaked out and panicked some people online I saw. So Anthony Johnson Jr., the safety, still well intact on the Packers defense, no concerns whatsoever. They did have a corner named Anthony Johnson, who was also a rookie in the defensive backfield, is not a junior as far as I know, and Anthony Johnson Jr., just an Anthony Johnson. And he is gone from the Packers practice squad. Uh, in the meantime, Dallin Levitt, who they released last week, is now on the Broncos practice squad. For anyone, for some reason, that was holding out hope that Dallin Levitt was going to come back in some capacity, that ship has sailed. He is now a Denver Bronco on their practice squad. Any thoughts on the signings, releases, or Joe, uh, Dallin Levitt's uh, journey to the Broncos? I was just going to say, as I was crafting that tweet to send out that Anthony Johnson was released, I was very careful. I made sure I put practice squad in all caps. I put cornerback just to try to limit any sort of confusion that was out there. But, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know uh, really anything about Joel Wilson. Um, what I will say is that the addition of a tight end was very much needed. Uh, they had the two practice squad openings and still do after letting go of Anthony Johnson. But, you know, Obviously, Luke Musgrave's on IR. Matt LaFleur was very noncommittal about if he'll even return at any point this season. They got to get kind of on the other side of these next few weeks before even determining if that's a possibility. So with him on IR, Josiah DeGora didn't practice on Monday after missing Thursday's game. Like They only have two healthy tight ends on the 53. They don't have any tight ends up until today. On the practice squad, just Henry Pearson, a fullback, who primarily played special teams on Thursday. So uh, obviously, an uh, addition at this position – had to be made. Um, what I will say, just kind of briefly looking at uh, Wilson, because he's a undrafted rookie this past spring out of Central Michigan. He was a, a pretty key contributor to their passing game. Almost 50% of his snaps last season came from the slot, had 105 targets uh, over two seasons. I looked up uh, Lance Zerline of NFL.com, just kind of his quick snippet draft profile, called him a crafty runner, said that his his run blocking is some is an area that he can improve on, though. Interesting. Yeah, it'll, it'll be an interesting pickup. And if he all of a sudden gets added to the 53 at some point, I'm sure both you and I and a lot of other people will be doing a deeper dive on him at some point. But 
Interesting practice squad pickup for the time being at a position where they just needed a couple bodies. Green Bay still has a couple openings on their active roster. They have not done anything with Bo Melton or James Robinson as of yet. So those will be some interesting things to keep an eye on from a practice squad standpoint. If they bring either of them back with Anthony Johnson uh, gone on the practice squad, I believe they still have some openings there too. It was weird on Monday as I was at, you know, and everyone else was at practice I was covering. And it was just like, you look at the running back room and it's, Patrick Taylor and Ellis Merriweather, two guys that were literally not on the roster a couple weeks ago, um, which is just crazy to think about. So I, I'm assuming they feel probably good if at least one of the two between Jones and Dylan, if not both, might be back this week, which gives them a little bit more confidence there. But just a, an interesting setup for the roster with some of those rooms being rather empty at the moment. Yeah, 100%. Uh, let's go back to those young wide receivers for just a moment because, again, we saw a little bit more proof of concept as of late with some of these wideouts and, and certainly the tight ends. Still a bummer that Luke Musgrave had the injury and we're not being able to see him kind of continue the progress that he was already making, but he'll be in a good spot going into next year, even if he can't return at some point this year, which we don't know if that's going to be the case or not yet. Uh, I was looking at a couple of receivers, specifically Jaden Reed and Christian Watson, Again, these are just my individual grades. It's not the be-all, end-all ever. But uh, Christian Watson, remember, he missed the first three weeks, weeks four through eight, negative 1.3 grade, weeks nine through 12, plus 1.15. So basically just a complete reversal for Christian Watson and obviously a big breakout this past week. Jaden Reed, weeks one through nine, obviously the majority of the season, plus 0.2 grade. So we just kind of like solid, steady, weeks 10 through 12, plus 2.05. So it took a huge step in the right direction, at least again, per migrating scale. But uh, I don't think anyone needs migrating scale to pass the eye test with some of these young wide receivers and just see, okay, things are starting to click a little bit more than they were earlier in the season. Yeah. I, I wrote about this over at Packers wire. Cause it was about a month ago. Now it was before the Rams game. So Packers are in the midst of that four game losing streak. And Jason Vrabel, the wide receivers coach is at the podium uh, speaking with us. And he's, talking about how just encouraged he is and again this is in the midst of that four game losing streak where the receivers drop balls failure and contested catches wrong routes all that stuff yeah. is full-blown it's happening he's sitting up there telling us about how encouraged he is how they're on the right trajectory how these are the, the some of the best practices that he's been a part of and he didn't he did not just specify this season he means with the green bay packers and so you're taking that in again the framework of where we are in the season and definitely feels like coach speak but now a month later we're seeing come to fruition on sundays what vrabel was seeing on the practice field and he again was speaking with us as part of his rotation on this past monday and when specifying on what gave him that confidence obviously the results weren't there we were seeing that on sundays prior to that but everything in practice they were playing hard they were competing they were winning their one-on-ones he said the balls weren't touching the ground like all those parts of the process that you want to check the box the receivers were doing that and so seeing that daily he knew it was just a matter of time before we we're going to start seeing that translate to the football field on Sundays and I think along with that growth I think a, a good example of that is Christian Watson's touchdown uh, against the Chargers. That was that play that John Dunn, the tight ends coach, kind of drew up on the fly based on what the Chargers had shown the Packers previously in that drive. And 
Adam Stenovich, prior to the Lions game last week, he was very candid in saying, I don't know if that's something we can do even two or three weeks ago. Like that in itself is just a prime example of the growth, basically saying, here's a concept we've kind of worked on, you know, throughout the season. We're going to have you do this, you do that, and then we're going to apply it. Everybody good? Gave them the thumbs up. They went out and ran it. They executed it well. Like just that time frame of two to three weeks being the difference between we can do this now and we can't. And that those struggles with adjustments early on in the season. I know Jordan Love had talked about that, how when defenses throw an unscouted look at the receivers, and this was back in week three and four when he was talking about this, how a little bit of deer in the headlights from them. I mean, if you haven't seen something, you haven't seen something, and how you react to it, you kind of got to figure it out on the fly. And I think a good example of that was that Denver game because that was coming out of the bye. Matt LaFleur talked about, Here's what, here's what Denver's put on film in terms of the Packers' opening script. Here's what they've put on film for the first five weeks of the season. Here's how we're going to attack it. Denver comes out in something completely different. And being a young team, not able at that stage of the season to make these grandy, grand adjustments on the fly, they didn't really have a counter to it. And that's something that we've seen throughout the early portions of the season. So we're seeing the, the results of it all. You know, Jaden Reed, Christian Watson, just the numbers that they're putting up uh, in your grades, as you mentioned. But to me, that that touchdown pass against the Chargers from Love to Watson is a prime example of the growth, the development, how they have are more comfortable with the looks defenses are throwing at them. Vrabel talked about their uh, uh, understanding in terms of how they have to prepare each week to compete. And he also had one other story that I really liked. He mentioned how the relationship that Jordan Love has established with them, how he's the the first person there when there's a mistake that's made to put their put his arm around him and say, hold your head up. The ball's coming back your direction. I can't have you, you know, blinking. I can't have you looking down. You got to be ready. I'm coming back to you and being that confidence for him. And then Vrabel added, I think it was just this past week in the Lions game where Love was getting after the receivers. And he was talking about that in a positive way in terms of that that leadership that confidence that he has in them and wanting them to execute the route as they should. And again, that was 100% a positive comment on Vrabel's part, but love with his, how he's approached things, the the equity that he's built up with an individual. You know, when you have a relationship with someone, you can be a little more tougher, more tough on them in those situations. And it absolutely feels like love is, you know, finding his voice to a degree in terms of that leadership role, being that guy who's commanding, um, understanding and helping when the play isn't executed correctly, but getting on them now as well, which from the, again, for how Vrabel described it was not something that was happening early on in the season either. Yeah. It's really fun to see all these improvements all over the place. I want to point to a couple other plays as well, really quick, just the the two Christian Watson plays or two plays that involve Christian Watson. The first one was the opening play where they throw deep to him down the field. It's not an A plus perfect ball. Christian goes up and gets it anyway and makes the big completion. The other one is the one where, from all accounts, it's out and it's very easy to tell pretty much on tape two that Christian runs the wrong route on the touchdown to Jaden Reed, mm-hmm. uh, but they get the touchdown anyway. One of the things that I'm a pretty big believer in, and Matt's spoken about it as well, is that like it's an imperfect game and bullets are flying live and it's going to be this, you know, chaotic, everything's going on all at once. But one of the things that I think separates good teams from or great teams from good teams is like when you make a mistake, can somebody else lift you up and make it so that it's not a mistake? 
And I thought, again, the, the throw from Jordan's not like far from egregious on the opening play. But again, it's not an A-plus perfect ball. We've seen Green Bay struggle with those in the past. And Christian says, screw it. I'm going to go up and get it anyway. We're getting this big completion to start the game. And it sets the tone for the entire rest of the game. Later on in the game, Christian's the one that makes the mistake. He runs the wrong route. And Jaden's still the one running the slant. Love throws a A-plus perfect ball to Jaden, even with all the you know chaos going on because Christian's there and brings another defender with him and threads a beautiful ball. And Jaden still in a very tight contested space comes up with it, even though it gets on him quickly, makes the catch, gets in for the touchdown. And sometimes things are going to go wrong. And the ability to kind of have somebody pick that up and say, you know what, I don't care what's gone wrong. I'm going to make sure that this mistake clears and we make a positive out of it anyway. That's been a major step, not only for the offense, but uh, just kind of in general on this team as of late. So I'm not going to lie. When I'm in the middle of Packer season, I don't always eat the best. It's by far my busiest time of year. I don't have a ton of time to make healthy meals. And because of that, I end up eating a lot of unhealthy foods. And when I'm not eating healthy, my digestive system doesn't always feel the best. And I end up feeling less focused, more stressed. And it just feels like my immune system is fighting with an arm behind its back. That's why I tried AG1. I was tired of being tired and I was tired of being unfocused and I needed to kickstart my immune system and increase my energy. And when I started drinking AG1 daily, I could feel the difference in my digestive health and my daily energy. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Not only did I replace my multivitamin with AG1, but I love that every scoop includes probiotics for gut support, B vitamins for energy, and zinc to help support my immune health. And that's why Packaday is proud to be sponsored by AG1. AG1 is the supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash packaday. That's drinkag1.com slash packaday. Check it out. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It seems absolutely wild to me that Thanksgiving is already over and we're already racing through the holidays. And before you know it, it's going to be New Year's Day 2024. Part of me is incredibly excited for the holidays, the hustle and bustle, the magic, the love, the giving, everything amazing that goes into it every single year. But there's another part of me that's anxious, nervous, sad, emotional, and kind of just ready to put the holidays behind me and fast forward right past everything. For me, I always find it stressful trying to find the perfect gift for people to try to make everyone's holiday a perfect success and to make sure everything goes off without a hitch. If we're being real, we all know that this time of year can be a lot, and it's natural to have a wide range of emotions and feelings during the holiday chaos. That's where therapy has come up huge for me. Amongst all the anxious and chaotic moments, therapy has been the anchor that's kept me grounded and the guiding light to get me through the season. I've learned to keep an eye on the positives, to avoid the triggers that cause me to be anxious, and to focus on all the joy and love that's surrounding me during the holidays. If you think that therapy could benefit you, it's time to give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp will flex to your needs, your schedule, and your unique situation. You too can find your bright spot this holiday season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Packaday to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Packaday. Hey there. 
I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making Prize Picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy yeah and just one other quick note like they the way things are unfolding right now where literally like that lions game all five of the active receivers or i should say the receivers that saw action like all of them had a play or two in that game and that's kind of becoming the norm so if you're a defense like yeah you could maybe try to key in on christian watson just because he's christian watson that size and speed but right now there's four or five guys on any given play that love could get get the ball to and that is just such an added stressor for defenses to have to have to contend with i can't wait to watch this weapon group continue to grow i'm so excited and we'll have all off season to go over like who the Packers should draft and what positions and things like that. And listen, it, they're going to be living in best player available land for a while over the course of the next couple of years. And if that happens to be a wide receiver, so be it, take it and figure out the logistics of it later. But I have a lot of faith in the wide receiver group on this team. And I am in like no hurry if it's, if it's even, and you've got a wide receiver tied with some other player um, on the board, like I'm almost, I, I would probably take the player at almost any other position at this point, just because mm-hmm. I think these wide receivers are going to put it together. I love the skill sets that each of them bring to the table. It's all a little bit different. And I think Matt LaFleur and Jordan Love have the different flavors at their disposal at wide receiver and tight end that they need. Now they just need to continue to progress. And we've seen these guys work their butts off already to get to the level that they're at right now. And it's only going to continue to get better. Let's stick on the offense uh, with a couple other ones here. The first one is Jordan Love. And we we obviously talked about him at the onset and, and really been kind of weaving him in throughout the show so far. But I think one of the things that we kind of knew going into the season, and we certainly knew it after training camp, was that the middle of the field was going to be attacked far more often than it was mm-hmm. in the later stages of Aaron's career. For better or worse, Aaron became pretty allergic to the middle of the field and throwing in that area and just became so risk-averse that throwing in that that area of the field was just almost a no-go for him. And Jordan is not the same. And again, there's going to be some things that come along with that at times that are going to lead to some negative plays, but it's also led to a lot of positives. And that area being more open has led to, I think, some of the success that this offense is going through right now. Yeah, just to put into perspective, over the last, I got this written down here, over the last four games, he's completing 76% of his passes to the middle of the field from pro football focus at 10.2 yards per attempt for 604 yards through the first seven games he had 652 total yards so only about 
what is that, 48 more yards with three extra games, 6.3 yards per attempt and completing just 63% of his passes. Like, he's been lights out, fantastic, nearly unstoppable attack in the middle of the field. And like you said, we knew that was going to be a part of the offense. Uh, our, our friend Dusty Evely, he did a fantastic article over the offseason at Packer Report breaking down like the last three, four years of quarterback play in terms of targeting the middle of field. And, you know, you could look at number one at the top of that list, not surprising, was Jimmy Garoppolo, the Kyle Shanahan offense over in San Francisco. And I can't remember if Rodgers was last out of like 60 something quarterbacks, but he was very, very close to it. And not that uh, any of us were charting Jordan Love's throws through OTAs, minicamp, but right away you could just see the emphasis in terms of the ball going to that part of the field. Like you said, the space has helped, has opened up, you know, and part of a pro- as part of a product of just again the the receivers catching on, um, you know, a little bit more traction in the run game, helping out play action a little bit. But when you're attacking the middle of the field, you you get guys the ball in space on the run, yards after the catch opportunities. And we've seen Dontavian Wicks, Jaden Reed in recent weeks be really, really good at finding those soft spots on those intermediate or even, you know, deep shots over the middle. Uh, you know, specifically in the Chargers game comes to mind for me. So, like you said, it's a big part of the Matt LaFleur offense, continued success in that area. It's obviously going to be beneficial for Love and the and the Packers offense as a whole, but he has not just been good attacking the middle of these last four games. Like I said, he's been lights out. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the evolution of that and how teams then try to shut down the middle of the field. Does that open up more of the outside passing game? Like, just going to be interesting to see because – Teams are going to continue to throw things at Jordan Love until they figure out a, a plan that is like is is his kryptonite at some point. And I'm sure you know Steve Spagnolo this week is going to be cooking up some things in a variety of different ways to to throw at Jordan. But man, he's he's th- he's shown already that he has a lot of answers to a lot of the questions. I don't think that's going to change anytime in the near future. But all of that evolution of Jordan and how teams attack him is going to be really fun moving forward. One more in offense. It seems like the rotation at right guard is going to continue moving forward. John Runyon Jr., Sean Ryan. I think a lot of people at this point are more on the Sean Ryan bandwagon of like, hey, it's it's time to make the change. I'm certainly in that camp. Um, if I was going to play devil's advocate, I would say if you look at the play of Rasheed Walker, Yash Nyman, John Runyon Jr., and Sean Ryan overall over the course of the past three games, I actually think you can make an argument that Nyman and Runyon have looked better comparative to where they were earlier in the season. Like Rashid Walker's looked better and Sean Ryan's looked good. Like, so like all four of them are actually playing a little bit better as of late than I think they were. And we didn't see Ryan before, so it's hard to compare it. So like maybe this competition thing is working a little bit. I think you and I talked about in the past of like, all right, if you want to do the competition thing, fine. But if one of them just starts being awesome, just please just stick with that one. But um, overall, it does seem like it's going to be something that continues. Yeah, that, that's 100% the feeling that I get, whether it's Lafleur, um, Adam Stenovich, Luke Buckkiss on Monday. Like he said the exact same thing. And to your point, you know, he said that since they've started doing this, the play of those four players has all been elevated from it. Like, you know, from what the Packers are seeing and what they're coaching, what they're grading their guys on from a film perspective, like they love that competition and feel that it's, you know, even though we talk about continuity in the offensive line, that that rotation that they're working with right now, working with right now has bolstered the play of those four. And then as a result of the entire unit and Buckus went on to say, you know, again, to your point about the hot hand, he goes until someone emerges like way ahead of the person that they're competing with 
this is what they're going to continue to do right now. So even, you know, the play of Runyon or the play of Walker has stood out above the other two in comparison, but from the Packers perspective, not enough. What, what I did find interesting was, uh, and obviously, as we know, I'll throw the caveat out there, those in the building, no way more than us, all that good stuff. But what I did find was interesting was that Buckus said when talking about what Runyon or yeah, Runyon has brought to the team, he kept talking in past tense about past years. He's helped us win a lot of games. You know, he's helped provide stability at the position. And that just caught my attention a little bit because it wasn't so it was talking about what he's done previously as almost kind of carrying the water a little bit for why we don't want to necessarily just go straight with Sean Ryan at this point. And again, as we know, this Runyon's in the final year of his rookie deal, whether he's back or not, we don't know, but you know, football is, you know, the ultimate, what have you done for me lately sport? Like, what are you contributing in the moment? So again, I add the caveat, they know more than us, all that stuff, but I just found that comment interesting to say the least. I think it's interesting too. And like, I certainly don't think that it's wrong. I think I, I've been a huge Runyon support, especially again, two years ago, I, I said going into the season, I thought there was the potential in a contract year that he would get back to playing the way he was two years ago and maybe even elevating it from there. It's just unfortunate that it's gone in the opposite direction. It certainly cost him, I think, a lot of money this upcoming offseason. Hopefully he can turn it around. I'll say it every single time. While I think it's time to maybe go with a different player, I mean, it'd be great if he just all of a sudden started playing at a Pro Bowl level. Like, give me that instead. That sounds amazing. And, like, we've seen players all of a sudden, it clicks, it slows down, and um, it kind of gets back on track out of nowhere. So hopefully that's the case for Runyon. But, again, as all the – Coaches are really, you know, sort of, uh, you know, leaning towards at this point, it sounds like all of those rotations, at least at right guard and probably left tackle are going to continue moving forward. Uh, Let's jump to the defensive side of the ball. Just a couple ones I wanted to go over with you. I think the first one is the, I don't know. It feels like maybe there's, there was a thought at some point earlier this year, like that the demise of Kenny Clark was uh, somewhat imminent and he was no longer a good player. And I think the PFF grades weren't great or things like that. To me, I really like what Kenny Clark's done all year long. Is he the same dominant player that he was like four-ish years ago? No, I don't think that he is. Is he still really good and a plus player and a winning football player for this team? For me, absolutely. And I think at least it's starting to come along where I think people are starting to realize this is still a heck of a defensive tackle that Green Bay has. Yeah, absolutely. We're recording this on November 28th, just three days away from December, Kenny Clark month, where the production is this starts to take off or right around the corner, but he's gotten an early jump on it this year. I mean, like you said, we all know what Kenny Clark can do on his own, but the numbers from a pressures perspective, it shows that when he's at his best, so is this Packers whole defensive front in the Packers four. I'm going to try to say this correctly in the four games this season where the Packers have generated their most pressures in a game. Kenny Clark has led the team in pressures in three of those games. Uh, over the last two, he's second among all interior defensive linemen in total pressures, first in pass rush win rate. Like last two weeks, Chargers and Lions games, he's been playing at a really, really high level. And that's benefiting everyone around him as the numbers reflect. He's, you know, by pro football focus numbers, he's taken more of his snaps away from the A gap this season than he has in the past several. And 
I felt like that's a conversation that had been, or a topic anyways, that had been out there for a number of years now. And now with TJ Slayton finally stepping into that larger role where he is that that run stuffer on this defense, it's freed them up to a degree to to have Clark playing away from the center, from the A-gap, a bit more than what he has previously. The hope with that is that you can get more one-on-one opportunities. But whether it's him just bullying his way into the backfield, the best way to destroy a play is through quick pressure up the middle, or whether it is him taking on a double team when he's playing at that level and he's commanding that attention when his presence is out there in that capacity that benefits everyone around him that benefits the the interior defenders the edge rushers and obviously when you're getting pressure on the quarterback that benefits those on the back end as well so Kenny's playing at a really high level over these last two weeks and not surprisingly the Packers pass rush as a group as a whole has been really good as well I think I probably could have printed t-shirts at some point that the defense goes as Kenny Clark goes over the past like five, six seasons. Cause definitely a phrase that's come out of my mouth quite a bit. And it's a million percent true. Like when he is playing at his best, it is really tough uh, for opposing offenses. And this defense usually rallies around that. And just when you have a guy that's pressing from the interior makes everything easier for Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary, when they, when Rashawn Gary wins quick around the edge, there's not that interior pressure quarterback steps up, has the time to get rid of the ball, hit his check down, whatever it might be. If Gary gets around the edge quick or Preston or any bar, whoever it is, and Kenny Clark's, you know, pushing that pocket up the middle, like the quarterback just is in like full panic mode and it completely changes everything. And obviously from a run defense standpoint, when you get Kenny and you can just funnel everything to him inside and he's just eating worlds in there, like, like that's, that's the best of this Packers defense. He's playing really good football and, Glad we got to talk about it a little bit because I think it's gone a little bit under the radar. Uh, the other one I wanted to ask you about is the semi-imminent return of Eric Stokes. I, I kind of feel like it's probably not going to happen this week, just the way that Matt LaFleur talked about it. Who knows? We'll see. Maybe he gets activated. It was interesting to me that when he did come back, it didn't seem like they had any defensive plan. Now, that's when Razul was still on the roster. I'd have to think back if if Jair was actually healthy in that game or not. I think he might have been, but so, yeah. yeah, I think so too. But uh, either way, like that was understandable because at the time you had Jair and Razul and, and you know, Eric wasn't going to play in the slot. So it wasn't really a spot for him on defense. Now we'll see if Jair is, is back at some point as well. I'm hoping he can be back this week. But if not, it, like either if he's not or even if he is, it's going to be interesting to me where he slots in in the Corey Ballantyne, Carrington Valentine, Jair Alexander, and Eric Stokes. I know he's not going to be above Jair, but the other ones are really interesting because he played a, a couple snaps of special teams, then had the injury on special teams and was right back on IR. Um, what's your thought on how they kind of utilize him when he does come back? That's a great question because Matt LaFleur was asked by Bill Huber how they approach his return this time around compared to last so they don't necessarily run into the same injury yeah. issue again. And Correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought early in the season there was a report that his potential return to practice during training camp was even set back at that time by another yep. hamstring injury. Totally so this true. This happened twice already where yeah. he's had these setbacks from that type of injury. Don't know if it's the exact same or same leg. I don't know that, but a similar soft tissue injury he's dealt with on a few occasions that's pushed him back this year. So in terms of the timeline, I mean, we got six games left. I agree with you. I don't think he's going to play this week. They have a full three weeks to get him up to full speed before having to to put him back on the 53-man roster. So at at most, it feels like he would have five games, potentially even four available. And I'm guessing they're going to take a similar approach because he never fully got back into it. You know, He hasn't really played since week nine of last season. So maybe there's a game or two on special teams to kind of ramp back up. Like 
if things extend, we're down to like two games left in the regular season, you know, not knowing what the playoffs hold at that point before, again, just guessing and based on previous timelines when he could be back on the field defensively in a full capacity. And I think at that point, I think you have to find a way to work him back in to just kind of one, get, get him those reps and not go in full, a full season without seeing some defensive snaps. But I, I think and what they're going to do, that's a great question, but what I think they got to do is I think you got to have him jump Eric's or excuse me, Carrington Valentine at that time, just to get him back on the field. And he's going back, he's going into 2024 final year of, or I guess they'll have the, the fifth year option, but final year yeah. of the four year rookie deal. Like, and right now in terms of, what they have in Eric Stokes, it's a question mark. I mean, a really good rookie season, second season, you know, obviously suffered the injury, but wasn't going great up to that point. This one has been out this whole time. Like we've seen a lot of good. We've seen some not so good. Like the jury's still kind of out to a degree. And I think if you have the opportunity, you got to see what you have in him and start building his way back and then see hopefully that he can, you know, through a good off season, hit the ground running hit the ground running for you in 2024. I think one of the really interesting aspects of the remainder of this season is the fact that they are now competing for a playoff spot, like legitimately, like it is not out of the question, at least, you know, maybe with a couple weeks left, maybe something goes wrong and they they're out of it. Or so I don't think that's going to be the case by any means. So you could be going into those last couple games, not just playing with house money, not being like, all right, let's get Stokes out there. Let's get some rookies out there. Let's see what they can do so we can make some evaluations for next year. It's going to be, hey, if we beat Minnesota and we beat Chicago, we're going to get in the playoffs. And I think that changes the calculus a little bit of like, all right, yeah, it would probably be great to get Eric Stokes out there. But like, if you're not sure going into that game that he's like ready to play 60 snaps or whatever, or, and like you just feel like Carrington Valentine or Corey Valentine are giving you the better opportunity to win – like that changes things up quite a bit too. So I'm really, really intrigued just to see how this plays out. I, I kind of feel like they're going to ramp him up on special teams. And then it could be like, he might need a something like an injury or something ahead of him to get back on the field, which seems crazy to think of. If you go back to his rookie year mm-hmm. and the way that he was playing as a rookie, like this was like, Oh, they've got Jair and Eric Stokes outside corners long-term. This is going to be amazing. And it just has not come to fruition. And I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go. It's going to be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's well, a great point. Let's jump over uh, to special teams, and we'll go over Packers Chiefs really quick. Uh, only one on special teams that I wanted to ask you about, and I know you talked about a little bit as well, but rookie kicker and one of the really hard words with any sort of rookie, but certainly on the kicking standpoint, is patience. But it seems like Green Bay is very much set still on being patient with their rookie kicker. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Brian Gutekind set the course for us back in June with what their plan was with Anders Carlson. And the start of the season was fantastic. I think he was five weeks in without a miss on either an extra point or a field goal opportunity. Uh, And since then, I believe he's missed an extra point in the last three games. Uh, One of them was blocked. uh, But he's missed a field goal attempt in four of the last six. And for a team that up until recently has struggled to move the ball, put points on the board. Like we saw it in that Steelers game. Even one point can be absolutely crucial for this Packers team where the margin of error has been so small. Rich Bisaccia talking about Anders Carlson. Not that uh, Bisaccia would ever, you know, provide any sort of, you know, insight, but sounds like very little, uh, 
very little concern, should I say, in terms of what they've seen from him. There is, uh, I think he mentioned his, you know, in terms of the contact, obviously little nuances to continue working on, as is the case with any rookie, but they were fully prepared for this. And one thing that always stuck with me, because Basaccia brought it up multiple times throughout the summer and even into the season, was when talking about Carlson and one of the reasons why they drafted him was his mental makeup. And we saw that throughout the summer. Like he would go one for six in one practice and unfazed almost. The next one goes six for six. And yeah. I think the. Again, we knew there were going to be ups and downs, but I think the promising aspect of this is even within a single game, one of those misses hasn't compounded. He's bounced back each time and put the next kick through the upright. So, again, like you said, just something that was expected, patience is required, and just something that they're working through right now. Yeah, not always easy a kicker, but it's the right approach. And uh, I'm hoping he's going to get back on one of those hot streaks any moment. And hopefully it can kind of carry him through the remainder of this season. All right, let's talk some Packers Chiefs. Man, if you would have told me going into this game a few weeks ago that I would actually be like, hey, this is an interesting game. Like, I'm, I'm excited to watch this one. I'm not sure I would have believed you. But uh, Chiefs, at, la- at least last I checked, are six-point favorites. Definitely still the, the odds-on favorites to, to go into Lambeau and win this game. I don't think that's going to be a shock or surprise to anyone. Still think Green Bay is playing with a little bit of house money here. But Kansas City, not quite the juggernaut that maybe they've been in the past. And Green Bay, not quite the pushover that they were a few weeks ago. So uh, very much more interesting game. And I'm, I'm really excited for this one. What are you, lo- what are you kind of looking at in this one for Packers chiefs? Big thing for me is how the Packers handle the blitz. This is a chiefs team that wants to get after the quarterback. They'll send uh, additional rushers from a variety of different positions to, to do so uh, that game a few years ago, you know, loves first start at arrowhead, like that they didn't cook that up maybe a little bit more aggressive, but for the most part, like that's who, this Chiefs team is to a degree. And so, one, how does the Packers' offensive line handle that? It's not a coincidence that the pass protection's been better in recent weeks, and so has Jordan Love. How does Jordan Love handle it? Uh, two things from Monday. Matt LaFleur talked about how how much improved Love's uh, just pocket feel is, and he said that's, you know, as we know, it's not something you can really coach. Players either have it or they don't, and if they don't have it, they got to experience it, gain that feel along the way. And so he talked about that being a key aspect in terms of Love's development. And then quarterbacks coach Tom Clements, when asked, all right, what's what have you been most encouraged by? Where's Jordan made the biggest jump over this last month? He said his decision-making, specifically when to dump the ball off. And he said, looking at that Lions game, like from an execution standpoint in terms of when to push the ball, when just to take what's available, he said that's that was the you know one of the best parts of Love's performance was taking those dump offs, knowing I shouldn't push it into this window, or feeling the pressure and knowing where your outlet is. Like so, those are two key areas where he's improved in. And again, going against this Chiefs team that wants to blitz, wants to get after the quarterback, those are going to be two really key elements to the Packers' success on offense, of course, along with the the blocking of the offensive line, the tight ends, the running backs hanging in there for pass protection. So obviously without time in the pocket, most often things are not going to end well for an offense, especially a young one. So for me, that's where a lot of this game starts and ends. How do the Packers handle that Chiefs pressure? It's going to be so fun, and it's just another one of those tests for Jordan Love. We all know the backstory. 
to me like that it, it may come down to that i also think there might be a little cat and mouse of like the spagnolo like show blitz and then like pull everyone back and um i'm so excited like this 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 matchup has me you know totally geeked out and at lambeau field sunday night football jordan playing at a totally different level than he was previously couldn't be more excited paul awesome awesome stuff as always any final thoughts on uh anything packers related or anything in the world that you'd like to talk about before we get out of here no, I think we covered all the big stuff. Always happy to join you, Andy. Appreciate it. Cheap plug really quick. I'm going to be doing a live Q&A slash meet and greets at Badger State Brewery this coming Saturday at 7 p.m. Central Time. So if anyone wants to come out, hang out, have a beer, talk some Packers, talk some football, watch some Big Ten Championship game, uh, make sure to come out. Badger State Brewing, uh, Brewing excuse me, 7 p.m. this Sunday. Can't wait to see you guys there. Uh Paul, thank you as always. You can follow him at Paul underscore Brettel and find him over at the Packers Wire. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. Follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. For Paul Brettel, I'm Andy. Until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.